I'm Georgia Williams with the Investing News Network, and I'm here at the New Orleans Investment Conference. Joining me today is Rick Rule of Sprout Resources. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rick. Always a pleasure to be on INN. Thank you. Thank you. So I think I'll just jump right into the good stuff. Um, earlier this week, Palladium One announced that Sprott would be a part of its private placement offering, which drove share prices 14% higher. Palladium is, one of, is on a great run. Do you see this lasting? Because uh, the offering is live, we can't talk about Palladium One. But in terms of the metal Palladium, um, as long as the economy holds together, we think Palladium will do well. There's a legitimate physical shortage of Palladium. There were a lot of uh, fabrication technologies that were put in place when Palladium was cheaper uh, that give it, in the near term, a structural advantage over Platinum. Mm -hmm. And of course, gasoline engine sales are doing better than uh, diesel engine sales. And Palladium is more efficient in catalytic converters for gasoline. So as long as we don't go into a global recession, I think the Palladium markets are very, very intact. It's really exciting to watch. Um, it's been a great year for the precious metals sector. Do you foresee this positivity lasting beyond Q4? I do. Uh, the precious metals, well, like all resources, are extremely cyclical. But I think the most important determinant in precious metals pricing is investor confidence in the continued purchasing power of the U.S. dollar. Uh, particularly the U.S. dollar is expressed by the U.S. 10-year Treasury. Uh, with the interest rates so low, the Treasuries are a less attractive alternative to gold. And so I don't see gold winning the war against bonds. I just see gold losing the war less badly. It's a very small asset class. And I, unfortunately, see it doing very well. What I mean by unfortunately is the set of circumstances that causes gold to do well usually has to do with the absence of confidence in the U.S. dollar and the U.S. economy, which is bad for other parts of your life. Fair enough. Um, is there anything investors should be cautious of if they're trying to approach the precious metal space? There is. Um, the gold narrative is so powerful that when people get attracted to it, they seem to get too attracted to it. If you're buying gold for insurance, what you see with gold is that when it moves, it moves a long, long, long way. From the bottom in 2000 to the top in 2010, the metal moved from $250 to $1,900. What that means is that if you're buying it for insurance, you don't need to over-insure, because when it doesn't move, it doesn't move. And in the equities, uh, we are suggesting to people that in the beginning of a gold bull market, you want to buy the the best of the best stocks. If you have uh, a cycle where the indexes move 200% to 1200% on the upside, you don't need to outperform the market. You just need to perform with the market. So rather than increase risk to try and outperform an already hot market, our belief is that most investors should try to reduce risk, buy the best five or six stocks in the industry, hold on for the two or three year time frame and be ha very happy to see what they have. It doesn't mean that you don't speculate with some of your portfolio. What it means is that you don't take your whole portfolio in effect to Las Vegas. Now, you had said that, you know, gold is almost like a moth to a flame, but a lot of people here have been talking about how the silver is really where the value is at. Do you see this as well? I don't see value in silver necessarily. I think what you're hearing is that in the last 40 years, gold has led, silver has followed, but silver has gone further. Beyond that, when the silver price begins to validate the silver thesis, and the money moves from the bullion to the equities, high-quality silver equities are, are extremely rare. There's probably only 10 or 11 in the world. 
And when money floods into silver equities, which it does periodically, about once a decade, the upside associated with those is extraordinary. I wouldn't call it value in the traditional sense. Value in the traditional sense suggests discount to net present value and free cash flow. What I would suggest is they have extraordinary speculative upside. Um, switching gears a little bit, the uranium story has been almost polar opposite to the precious metals. Do you think a final Section 232 decision will be enough to bolster the sector and get some movement? I don't. I think 232 is a sideshow. Uh, it would be a, a temporary boost for U.S. producers, but the overall uranium market won't care. What we need for the uranium prices to move is a resolution uh, in terms of the pace of Japanese restarts. The Japanese total reactor fleet is, if my memory serves me well, something like 43 or 44, of which eight are operating. The supply above the market now is mostly Japanese inventory, and that inventory needs to be taken out of the market. The sec a, a Section 232 decision would be beneficial for the shares of U.S. uranium producers, but the market share of U.S uranium produces on a global basis is effectively infinitesimal. And my suspicion is that a 232, uh, uh, to the 232 legislation might exempt Canada, uh, in which case the U.S. producers would be fighting against Cameco, which is a more efficient producer. So I wouldn't be looking to 232. I'd be looking to straight arithmetic. Uh, the fact that it uh, costs 50 or $60 a pound to make uranium, they're selling for $25 a pound. Very unpleasant. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Um, with the right market conditions, how far do you think gold can go? Oh, that's... Uh, people always underestimate how far gold can move in the right set of circumstances. Uh, in the context of a crisis of confidence, interestingly, if it manifested itself as a 2008-style liquidity crisis, the first thing that would happen, and this would really surprise people, is gold would go down. Because in a liquidity crisis, the selling decision is made not by the investor, but rather by the margin clerk. And he or she will sell anything that has a bid. Uh, but what happens after that is that people who own gold won't sell it, and those who don't have it will scramble to buy it. Um, you were likely too young to have been in the market in 2000, which was the bottom of the last gold cycle. Gold was in those days a four-letter word, a pejorative. Certainly gold is a four-letter word, but it was a pejorative four-letter word at that point in time. And in 10 years, the price of gold moved from $250 to $1,900. Looking further back to when I came into business in the 70s, gold moved from admittedly price-controlled $35 to $850. So when people, when people give a good salesman like me the use of the word could or should, I can present a case for almost any gold price that you want. But think about this. Bonds are a saver's instrument. Bonds are the place that you put money that you can't afford to lose. Bonds are their traditional source of income that's also a store of value. Fourteen trillion dollars worth of bonds worldwide have a negative interest rate. In other words, they promise to destroy your savings. And that's the competitor to gold. Uh, sovereign risk is now called by my friend Jim Grant, return-free risk. And if you think about the concept of return-free risk as the, as the um, competitor to gold, it makes gold amazingly attractive. Most definitely. Thank you so much for all of your time, Rick. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm Georgia Williams with the Investing News Network.